Well, let's start with the reading of God's word. Take out your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 14 this morning. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and the faithful brothers in Christ Jesus at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit." And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins." What I want to do this morning is not dig into every single part of this scripture with you, partially because we don't have time, it's very rich, and also because I want to set the table for you as you study this week in your study guide and also as you discuss the passage next week. I want you to be able to do the work and have the joy of discovery. So what I want to do is set the table, so to speak, and give you a framework for your study in the coming week and for your discussion next week. So let's look here at what's going on here. First of all, what we have here is a letter from a physician of the soul. Now, why do I call it that? Well, it says in the beginning that Paul is an apostle. Now, the apostles were given the responsibility of laying the foundation of the New Testament church before the, all, the, all the books of the New Testament had been fully given and called authoritative by the church. We call that the canon, okay? So what the apostles were to do is to give instruction to the church that wouldn't be in the Old Testament, Because the New Testament church, although there is some continuity with the Old Testament people of God, the nation of Israel, there's also discontinuity. So the apostles filled that gap before the New Testament scriptures were available to the church. Now, what did the apostles preach from? The apostles preached from the Old Testament and showed how it pointed forward to Christ. Why did they do that? Because that's what Jesus Christ himself did. He preached from the Old Testament 
and told people how the Old Testament told the story of salvation in Jesus Christ. We see that when he talked on the road to Emmaus, if you know that story at the end of the Gospels. So Paul is writing this as an apostle. He is writing this with authority. And as an apostle, he's also writing to this church, and Rose did a great job last week of introducing you to this church in this place. He's writing with the authority of an apostle, but he's also writing in some way, even though it's at a distance, even though he didn't know them, because he's an apostle, he can write as a pastor, okay? And that's very important as we look at this beginning section here. In the letters of Paul, and there's 13 of them in all, there's three letters which we call the pastoral epistles. And that is 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. And we call them that, we call those the pastoral epistles because Paul was writing to young pastors and telling them how to lead the church. But in another sense, all of Paul's epistles are pastoral. They're coming with the authority of a pastor or a shepherd, here one of the apostles, and they are helping the church to know how to be the church. They're addressing specific issues in each of those local churches. And what is a pastor? Well, in our culture, unfortunately, uh, we have too many models of the pastor which are along the line of some sort of CEO. But historically, the, another description of a pastor was a physician of the soul. As pastors, it says in Hebrews that we pastors and elders are to care for the souls of the people. So Paul is writing this letter because he cares for their souls. And that's very, very important here. Okay, in the beginning here, in verse 2, Paul says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Every one of Paul's 13 letters in the New Testament, people disagree whether he wrote Hebrews or not. Most people think he didn't, so we'll limit it to 13. Every one of Paul's 13 letters in the New Testament begin with this phrase, grace and peace to you. Now what's interesting is every one of the 13 letters also end with some sort of phrasing of grace to you. Now, some of you may go and you may search and you may go, but Andy, in my Bible, Romans doesn't end that way, okay? But in many Bibles, you'll see a little footnote, and what that footnote says is some manuscripts of Romans include and they have the grace word there. So I'm going to say they all end. They're bracketed with grace. Okay, what does Paul desire for him? First, let's hit, hit on peace, and then we're going to dig a little deeper in the grace part, okay? When the Bible uses the word peace, it doesn't refer just to absence of conflict or strife, although that is part of peace, obviously. But when the Bible uses the word peace, the Old Testament word for peace is shalom, and that means things coming into alignment with the order, the good order, that God intended them to be. Or in a New Testament understanding, peace really would be 
that Christ would fully reign on earth the way he does right now in heaven. You see, in, in heaven right now, everything happens exactly according to the reign of Jesus Christ. That's what heaven is, that he is fully in charge. And the biblical, when Paul says he desires peace, that's what he desires, that Jesus Christ would reign fully, or the Old Testament word shalom. Now let's look at grace. In, in, in all of Paul's letters, really, they're bracketed by grace. Well, one thing we have to understand is that there's three parts of salvation. There's justification, sanctification, and glory, glorification. That means we're freed from the penalty of sin. That's justification. We are now increasingly freed from the power of sin. That's sanctification. And one day in heaven, we will totally be freed from the presence of sin. That's glorification. And so as Paul's writing this letter of Colossians, he wants them to experience grace. Now, the reality is that most of the hearers of this letter, he's writing to a local church, they are already believers. And that's true with all of Paul's letters. These letters are written to believers. Now, he wants to remind them and make sure they fully understand the grace that justifies because we all need to be reminded and make sure we get right the gospel that part of the gospel that talks about Jesus' death on the cross in our place. <clears throat> but we also want to understand that there is grace that sanctifies. And that second understanding of grace is really in view here in all of Paul's letters. He is writing these letters so that they may experience more of the grace that sanctifies. And actually, I purposely, well, we're not going to go off into sanctification here because I'm purposely going to actually teach on a portion of Colossians that digs into that more deeply sometime, I think in, it's in October. I grabbed that passage as well. So just to say that your sanctification is your increasing freedom from the power of sin in your life and that Paul is writing these letters to help the Colossians grow in their sanctification and that's the reason he's writing all of their letters. Now, when, so we refer to, as Christians, what we call the means of grace. Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology book there, and it's listed on your note, says the means of grace are any activities within the fellowship of the church that God uses to give more grace to Christians. Now, in his systematic theology book, and if you have it or you want to go to our church library, he lists 11 of them, and they're very important. But Andy Davis, who's the senior pastor of First Baptist Church in Durham, North Carolina, I wanted to give you enough information there, so if you wanted to listen to this podcast, which is a really good one, which I have listed, you could find it on your iPhone or your uh, iTunes or somewhere. But he says this in a podcast on called The Means of Grace in the Church, Part 1. He says the most significant means of grace is the ministry of the Word of God. 
It is the way that God keeps the fire of faith burning in our heart more significantly and directly than any other way. And so as you are digging into Colossians, both as you dig into it personally, as you do your study, and as you come together to discuss, understand that this is a means of grace in your life, that God's word is a powerful tool in your sanctification. Okay? So, I just want that to be the framework as you come to this study. You're not coming here simply to get head knowledge about the Bible. But when we open God's word, we believe it's God speaking to us so that our lives will be changed. Oh, one thing I forgot to point out to you back on uh, intro letter A. Turn to 2 Peter 3.16. Okay, wrong reference, I'm sorry, but I know what it says. Very interesting thing. Peter says, and you can dig through Peter's, Peter's letters here. Peter says, some parts of the scripture are difficult to understand. And he says, like some of the letters of Paul. So here's something I want you to understand, that even very early on, even before Peter died, he was equating these letters of Paul on the basis of the other scriptures. So that's another thing. You know, that's Paul's authority here. And again, I want you to understand that. I want you to grasp that as you study God's word, that God's word is powerful, that it brings about things in your life. The words that the the Bible uses to describe itself are sometimes aggressive words. Sword, hammer, fire. It gets things done. Okay, so let's look now at, at this particular passage. And what do I, in the last 10 minutes here, what do I want you to sort of take away as a starting point for your study this week? Well, first of all, in this beginning of the, of the passage of Colossians, as Rose shared with you last week, this church in Colossians had some particular challenges. We don't know exactly what the false teaching was. Some people believe it was some sort of early form of, of Gnosticism, which denies uh, a lot about the reality of the material world and, and the reality of who Jesus is. Other people believe that it was some sort of, sort of super teacher from a Jewish background that was doing all sorts of gospel plus type of stuff. I tend to lean in that direction. But they had some issues, and Paul's going to address those. He's going to address uh, their understanding of Jesus Christ and not listen to these people who say Jesus is less than he is. He's going to get into how are they sanctified. He's going to get into how do their relationships in the home and the workplace uh, represent their understanding of the gospel. So all that Paul is going to get into. But he's starting out here, and he's doing what I call personal ministry. Now, it's not a, a term I came up with. Uh, people like, like Paul Tripp uses this, David Paulison. Personal ministry is the new creation in me. This is how Larry Crabb describes it. Pouring out and nurturing the new creation in you. 
It's as Christians come together and we help each other grow. That's what personal ministry is. Uh, In Wayne Grudem's list of the means of grace, this is number 11 on the list, okay? We have a responsibility to help each other grow, and that's what Paul's doing here. Remember I said he's a physician of the soul. Now, personal ministry has many, many levels, One part of personal ministry is as we're peers, as we're at the same place in our walk with Christ, we're just encouraging each other along the way in the basic things. There's other levels of personal ministry which go much deeper, which which get into the realm of what we may call counseling. You may have a a girlfriend in in, in in your women's group who is struggling with a particular sin and you see that in her her life and 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 she's talking to you about her problems and you can see how that particular sin is causing that particular problem you may need to speak into that that's another type of personal ministry it's what happens when we do at our church what we call biblical counseling okay so paul is doing personal ministry here why do we need personal ministry Well, a number of years back, the first time we did the class, Changing Hearts, Changing Lives here, Paul Tripp said something very profound that I never thought of before. God created us with a need for counsel. God created us with a need for counsel. And how Paul Tripp pointed that out was in the garden, before Adam and Eve sinned, before sin entered the picture, they still needed God's direction. You see, it's not just when we sin that we need counsel. We always need counsel. So this personal ministry is really important. And I believe that this section of the book of Colossians is a great model for how we begin to do personal ministry. It's a model that I think you overlay in your discussions, in your groups, and it guides you. So let's look at what Paul does very quickly here. The first section, verses 3 through 8, is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Paul says this, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Okay? So the first point under Thanksgiving is that this Thanksgiving occurred in prayer. What happens if you're together with other Christians or a good friend of yours and you say, I'd like to pray for you and I'd like to begin by thanking God for what he's done in your life? Powerful thing to do. That's what Paul's doing here because Paul recognizes that he wants them to recognize that God is the source of everything good in their life. That God is gracious with his gifts, and he wants them to see that. So he says, we always thank God the Father when we pray for you. When? Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. So the first thing he thanks thanks God for is their faith. Now, this definition of faith here, if you look on your outline, I have I-N in capital capital letters, we're not talking here solely about Jesus as the object of their faith, but instead we're talking about a relationship with Jesus as 
the reality of their faith. The Bible over and over and over again talks about the fact that when we become a Christian, we are in Christ and he is in us. Now that's a spiritual reality. And sometimes we have a hard time recognizing the spiritual realities because Satan wants us only to focus on the physical world. But the Bible tells us that before we were Christians, we were dead in Christ. Ephesians 2 unpacks that wonderfully. And when we become Christians, we are made alive in Christ. That because of the Holy Spirit, we live in a reality where we are connected to Jesus. This is not just an intellectual acceptance of a judicial statement as far as our salvation. Again, we're not just freed from the penalty of sin and declared righteous. We're increasingly freed from the power of sin. We live in Jesus Christ. So Paul is thankful for that. Second, he says he's thankful in verse 4 for the love of the saints. That's an outgrowth of our faith. And all through the Bible, and we'll get into this a little bit when we get to sanctification, but understand this. The quality of our relationships demonstrate our grasp of the gospel. If our relationships are full of conflict and bitterness and unforgiveness, then we don't understand the gospel. I don't have time to unpack that, but that's why Paul's thankful for their love for one another. And how does he say this comes about? He says it comes about because of hope, okay? The reason we do these things is because we have hope that this broken world is not all there is. As hard as life gets, we hang on to God and we want Jesus to rule our lives because we know that one day we're going to be freed from the power of sin. As Randy Alcorn says, one of the greatest things for Christians is that as bad as this life may get in the scope of eternity, the fact is that this is as bad as it will ever get. We have a hope in something far better. As it says in 2 Corinthians, that the troubles that we face now are but a momentary affliction. Now, many of you don't know me and know what's going on in my life and I'm gonna, not going to tell you everything right now but in the past couple years uh, my wife and I have walked through very deep waters with regards to what's going on in the lives of our children and those of you that are married and have children and especially you have adult children you know that those deep waters in the lives of your children eventually they that that stress even even comes back into your marriage in some all sorts of crazy ways. Satan can have a field day. And so often, the only advice I have is, is the husband in our household trying, to, trying to, to shepherd my wife's heart to care for her soul is to say, we have a hope bigger than this world. That's what Paul's fo fo focusing on here. Okay, and... Okay, we got three more minutes, so I'm going to skip on. You're going to dig into this next part during the week. I have great confidence in you. So let's finish up by looking at the prayer requests that Paul has for them. You see, because Paul is not just thankful for where they're at. In verses 9 through 14, Paul desires their continued growth. He's saying that in light of what God has already done, 
And in light of these challenges you face in this church, which I'm going to deal with, I want to pray that God will do some work in your life. He says, first of all, he's praying without ceasing. Now, that means it's top priority, that it's a regular event for him. And I would encourage you, as you do personal ministry with people, to pray for them. First of all, pray for them and tell them what you're thankful you see God is doing in their lives. How do we do this? First of all, when I'm talking on the phone with somebody or when I'm having a conversation with somebody and I tell them, I am going to pray for you, I try to make it a practice as soon as I hang up the phone to sit there and pray for them. I don't let any time linger. And that's not because so, I'm so great and wonderful. It's just the other. If I do that, they won't get prayed for. Secondly, um, so, so do that. That's one way of praying without ceasing. Another way of praying without ceasing is to, when you talk on the phone, say, can I pray with you? Now, for some of us, that's a little bit weird and uncomfortable. And every time I say it to the person, I'm expecting them to say, are you crazy? But usually they say yes. So I pray with them on the phone. Finally, right here at East Cooper, in this room, in the halls, on Tuesday morning, on Sunday mornings, in the evening, you're having a conversation with a person and you hear about something going on in their life or you hear about a praise. To pray without ceasing means just to take a moment right in the hall, right here in this room, and pray with them. Don't worry about the people around you. Pray without ceasing. That's what Paul's talking about here. And he's separated from them. Okay. Sec and what does he pray for them? He says, first of all, that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. Okay. Paul doesn't want them to listen to all these super teachers or Gnostics or whoever they are saying there's something else besides Jesus that I have a hidden will of God that you have to find out from me. Paul is saying, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. What is the will of God? In 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, it says this. This is the will of God for your life, your sanctification. And I think too often we get all worried about what is the specific revealed will of God for our life. And what we need to do is focus primarily on the clear revealed will of God in his scriptures. So he wants them to be filled with the knowledge of his will. He wants them to walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord. Okay? In uh, Colossians 2, 6, and 7, you're going to get here in a few weeks, but it says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Okay? Sanctification. That's what sanctification is. Our practice how we live begins to increasingly agree with our profession of faith in Christ. Fully pleasing to him. Do you know what Jesus says in John 14, 5? He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, sometimes we try to make grace and obedience in opposition to each other. And believe me, obedience for the sake of obedience without grace will accomplish nothing. But obedience done because I understand the grace of God and I trust him that his ways are the best ways for me and part of grace is that I don't rebel against those ways like I used to when I become a Christian. So if we're going to be fully pleasing to God 
We're going to obey his commandments because we love him. Bearing fruit in every good work. James talks about that. Faith without works is dead. Increasing in the knowledge of God. It's interesting that Paul starts there with filled with the knowledge of his will and that his will should produce fruit. And as it produces fruit, then we don't want to fall into dead obedience. So we need to increase as we obey Keep in his word, keep saying, God, I want to know more about you. A.W. Tozer says, what you understand about God is the most important thing about you. And finally, Paul tells them they're delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son in verses 13 and 14. We should live and we can live. Notice there it says, delivered from in the reality of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, where he increasingly rules in our lives. I talk about this. I, I, I talk about how, in one sense, our, our lives are like um, little kingdoms of Christ. And in, there's, we find out in our lives that there's territories in our lives, provinces, states, counties, cities, however you want to call them, rooms, that we're not letting Jesus rule. And sanctification is the process of God graciously in his timing, because he knows we can't do it all at once, show us where those territories in our lives are that he wants to rule. And then through his word and through people that we know and the other means of grace in the church, he allows us to see how Jesus can rule in those territories. So here's my conclusion. Your model for personal ministry Paul's going to get into all sorts of things in Colossians, but if you want to have an effective personal ministry with other people, to start here like Paul does, to start in prayer with them, to pray with them and thank God for the things you see that he's doing in their lives, and to move from there, and especially if you're doing personal ministry in some of those deep levels, to move from there and pray about what you want to see God do in their lives. You know, that, that if, you're, if your friend comes to you and uh, your friend, speaking to women here, it's, it's a wife and she's having marriage problems, and you may know all sorts of stuff that you learned on Oprah about having good communication. You know what? What you need to pray for your friend is that they would understand the gospel and that the real problems in their marriage, now communication can be a part of it, but their real problems are heart problems or heart problems of their husband. But I want you to, to go from here and see that Paul begins this book with personal ministry, praying that God, pray, being thankful for what God's done in their life and praying for what God would do in their lives. And over the next, how many weeks are you doing this, Rose? Okay, until the 19th of November. November, right? That, that, that you would see this time as you study God's word together and as you do your breakout groups, that is a time for personal ministry like Paul's doing here. Let's pray. I told... Lord, I just thank you for the opportunity to be here, um, and I thank you for your word and just how it ministers to me. I hope it ministers to these women. Um, in fact, I know it will. 
and I just pray that as they break out into their groups that they'll already be inspired by what Paul is doing here because he wants to see Christians be healthy and love you. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.